Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Mercedes. In this podcast, we will be sharing with you some of the most exciting stories from within the automotive industry. We will, of course, be talking about the Mercedes-Benz brand and its cars, but we also look forward to meeting external experts for a very personal deep dive into the world of mobility. My name is Yasmin Blair, and this is Let's Talk Mercedes. Thanks for tuning in. For today's episode, we decided to switch things up a bit. We invited one single guest to focus on a true living legend in the world of golf, Bernhard Langer. Bernard has played with some of the greatest golfers of all times, and even after five decades in his profession, he is still going strong. Rarely has any other athlete ever achieved comparable long-term success, so obviously I was very excited when I found out Bernard would be joining us. But the central question for me was, once you've got it all, what is there left to achieve? I wanted to find out how Bernard has managed to reinvent himself time after time and where this absolute commitment to get up every day and push yourself even harder is rooted. All of this makes him sound like someone very much out of reach, which makes it all the nicer that the conversation took a completely different turn. I got the opportunity to get to know a very down-to-earth gentleman who above all, did not hesitate to share very personal insights with me, like what the family of a golf pro has to endure and how he too struggles with life-work balance, just like the rest of us, or how little it takes to give him a sensation of luxury. Here comes the master of reinvention. Have fun listening, everyone. Let me introduce you once more. With me is Bernard Langer, or to give you the correct German pronunciation at least once, Bernhard Langer, professional golfer, golf legend, and Mercedes-Benz brand ambassador. Bernard, as for my introduction, I would be very curious to hear how you would introduce yourself. Would that be the same that I've just done, or would it be differently, Bernard? No, I think uh, you did a wonderful job uh, introducing me, and um, I've certainly am a person that is somewhat driven um, i'm trying to continuously improve and get better and i have a, a very strong sense and feeling that uh, i can still do that even you know i said that when i would turn 50 i said i, I believe i can still get better i can um, innovate myself i i want to become the best bernard langer that bernard langer can be and uh, golf is such a fickle game, a very technical game, uh, mental. There's so many aspects to it that you can always find certain parts where you can still get one or two percent better than what you where you were, and you you gain an experience uh, which can also help uh, greatly. And so it's a fascinating sport. It's not like many other sports where once you turn 35, you're basically too slow or or you're done. You just can't compete. Uh, it's actually many golfers achieve their pinnacle after they're 35 uh, because it just takes a long time to learn the technique, uh, to know yourself, to understand the pressure situations. We just saw Phil Mickelson win a major tournament at age 50. And I've been saying this for years that 
somebody in over 50 will win uh, a major. It's going to happen again and again. What just happened, Bernard, is something wonderful and something awful. First of all, you have answered so many questions <laughs> that I still have. And on the other hand, you have uh, created more questions for me to ask. So I think what we need to do right here is just take a small step back and start out by helping our audience to get to know you a bit better. So could you begin by telling me where in the world you're joining us from and where do you actually currently live exactly? My residence is in Boca Raton, Florida, near West Palm Beach, uh, which is ideal for a professional golfer because we have beautiful weather and wonderful surroundings all year round. So what does your average day look like when you're in Florida? Would you practice every single day? How much time off do you take? Do you actually make use of, of the beach or any of the other pastimes that uh, you can exercise in Florida? Absolutely. And that, that's a wonderful thing to live in Florida. You have blue skies, you have the beaches, swimming pools. Um, I live on a golf course, so I do practice almost every day. Sometimes when I come home from a two or three week trip, I take one or two days off and put the clubs in the corner. But my general day looks like uh, about uh, one to two hours of a workout in the fitness center. Uh, now I have three grandkids, so I I enjoy playing with my grandkids. Otherwise, I spend a bit of time in my office catching up with fan mail, uh, paying bills, and um, just the things that need to be done. I also enjoy watching sports on TV. I actually enjoy watching golf. I'm a soccer fan and uh, enjoy most sports. Do you watch it with an analytic eye? Can you actually relax while watching it? Or do you keep on thinking, oh, you could have done that a lot? better why did you choose that one <laughs> yeah for me it's uh, it's maybe even more fun than for most golf fans because i know pretty much all the courses they play on i played there before so i know what you know it, what spots are good and what places are terrible so i can really put myself in their shoes and and live through what they're living through Uh, when they hit a great shot or a bad shot or when they make mistakes or when they pull off something fantastic. And uh, it's, it's interesting for me to watch my other competitors, to watch their techniques, their, their swing, uh, even what clubs they use sometimes for uh, pitching or chipping and uh, how they go about it. And uh, to me, it's fascinating. And, and I feel I can still learn uh, from others by watching them. All right. So it's also educational. Now, Bernard, I would like to share with you something that someone just forwarded to me the other day. It's this article. It's about a Harvard study. And in a nutshell, to sum it up, it says that scientifically, it is proven that we are happiest when we have made the best work decisions in life. And the best work decisions in life mean that we have to have at least two jobs. One has to be a job that will ensure a proper retirement, and the other has to be a job that's just for us to follow our passion, regardless of financial income, etc. And now, here you go with the perfect combination of both of those jobs all in one. Now, here's the question. In these 40 years you've been playing golf professionally, have you ever thought of doing something completely different? Did you ever consider some sort of, I don't know, fallback job or second profession Does it still satisfy you just as much as when you started your career 40 years ago? 
Yes, it still does. And uh, my fallback uh, job only at the very beginning of my career, when I was 18, I decided to try and make a living playing tournaments. But I had already been teaching golf before that. So if the uh, playing pro situation wouldn't have worked out within about three years, I, I would have fallen back to teaching golf, instructing amateurs to play better. But uh, since it worked out, I, I never had to go to that fallback position. And Obviously. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very satisfied with what I'm doing. I'm extremely blessed and, and happy. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, right now, I've obviously, we have four children, two sons and two daughters, and they're adults. But many of those 40 years that I've been a pro, uh, I, I kind of felt like I had two jobs. I was... Uh, the professional golfer who was at times selfish out on tour because I had to do what I had to do to be the best I can be. And uh, my whole day was pretty much focused around my job. And then when I had a week or two off and I came home, I put that aside and I became dad and I became husband and uh, tried to serve my family and my kids. And so those, those were two very opposing jobs. Uh, but both very satisfying. What were the hardest times in terms of feeling that you could only lose or only neglect one of the two that you couldn't live up to both of your own expectations? Well, there were many times when it, it's a, it's a very fine line and uh, I would always sit down uh, with my wife and, and try to go over the tournament calendar and look at the birthdays and the holidays and what special things are going on with the family and, when would be important for me to to be home what can i miss what can i not miss so it, it was always a juggling of priorities and uh, that was probably the hardest one of the hardest things for me to do year after year because i i didn't want to be another you know professional athlete that got divorced and had no relationship with the kids uh, so I, i tried to make that as much as a priority as I did my job, and it wasn't always easy. Thank you, Bernard, so much for giving us this very personal insight. Now, since we have you, since we have this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity of speaking to a legend, let us have a closer look at the sport itself. Let's talk golf. The next generation is really raising the bar when it comes to physical strength. And I've even read that the average golf course is literally becoming too small for some of the younger golfers because they're just so strong. How do you think this physical evolution, so to speak, will affect golf in the future? And is this actually something that you have already noticed or already experienced today that this level of physical strength is a whole new one? Absolutely. It's, and it's not just the physical strength. This is a big part of it. You look at all athletes across the globe, no matter what they do, they, they look so much bigger and stronger and faster and, and all of it. And it's the same in golf. You know, Gary Player kind of started it many years ago. Tiger Woods uh, took it to another level in a sense. And um, the, the players want to be their best. So they're researching you know what can i do to to hit the ball further or straighter or what can i do to last longer and that's happening everywhere um but it's not just the physical aspect it's also the innovations they made in in uh, golf clubs 
now the clubhead of the driver is not of wood anymore. It, it's a very light material. It's hollow on the inside. Therefore, the club is lighter. You can create more speed swinging a longer, lighter shaft or club than a, than a short, heavy one. And then the golf ball uh, is, is a whole other animal. The golf ball has come so far, so much better with aerodynamics, with the material it's made of. And it just travels so much further. And players are aware of that. So, yes, we need to build golf courses that are much longer now. I, I designed 18 or 20 golf courses around the world. I used to build courses that were about 63 to 6,500 yards in total distance. The bunkers, I placed them usually around 240 yards because that's about where we used to hit 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Now, if you put a bunker at 240 yards, the players won't even see them, basically, because they all fly the ball 300 plus. So you need an extra thousand yards of actually uh, playing fairway or golf course, which is more expensive to buy or lease. It's, it's more expensive to water, uh, to maintain, to take care of. Um, so all of that... Uh, presents a, a problem. And like you said in the beginning, some of the courses that were designed 100 years ago, 50 years ago, even 30 years ago are, are often too short and they have to find ways to lengthen them. And if they don't have the land to do it, they're kind of obsolete for the best players or the, the younger generation that hits the ball very far. So those are all problems that the RNA, which is the Royal and Ancient and the USGA, uh, they're our rules bodies, basically. They make the rules of golf. But on the other hand, it's one of the wonderful fascinations about the game of golf. I mean, we all are fascinated by somebody hitting the golf ball 330 yards in the air. That is just uh, amazing to watch and fun. So if they take that away, they take away part of the fascination. So it's, it's a fine line. What do they do and what do they not do? That is extremely interesting, Bernard, that you also build golf courses. I wasn't aware. If they get larger and larger, what about some of the most famous golf courses in the world? If they're not able to enlarge in them, does that mean that they will vanish completely? That could be the case. The, the golf courses will not vanish, but we may not have tournament on, on certain courses if they're too short. For instance, if we take... Uh, the Augusta National Golf Course, which is hosts the U.S. Masters Tournament every year, uh, they have made tremendous changes over the last 20 years, 30 years, where uh, when Tiger Woods came along, he basically took the course apart. He was hitting it so far that he would just have wedges into the par fives and, and even, <laughs> you know, short clubs into par fours. And therefore, they realized that and they wanted to... Uh, pretty much present the same challenge players had 30, 40 years ago. So they had to move uh, certain tee boxes back by 40, 50 yards, some even 70 yards. And uh, that that's what they did. If we just go back a couple months to April, then we land at the a Masters tournament in Augusta. And you started for the 38th time now. 
which is a very impressive number. Last year, you were the oldest player ever to make it through the cut. And many other former champions, they have stepped out of competitive playing completely. But here you are not only still going strong, but seemingly becoming even harsher on yourself when you don't perform as well as you would expect yourself to. Do you sometimes feel that you are becoming harder and harder on yourself? Is it sometimes tiresome, always heading for the very top, never accepting anything less than the absolute maximum performance you can possibly give? It sounds like, or it seems to be hard work after all these years, don't you think? I like to be the best that I can be. I like to innovate myself and uh, again, to work on certain aspects of my game where I still think I can improve. Um, obviously, a golf course like Augusta that is very long, they play about close to 7,500 yards, uh, is rather difficult for me nowadays because I'm uh, hitting, you know, two or three irons or hybrids where other, the younger guys hit nine or eight irons into the greens. And it, it's difficult to compete with that. But uh, at the same time, I found ways to, to do that. I just have to be more accurate, more precise. I, I have to be better in the short game. We all have to have a strategy and be mentally strong. And so I can If I'm a little better in those areas, I can still compete on a lot of golf courses. Bernard, you just mentioned the younger golfers. And if I were a, a rookie and you felt I was very talented and we crossed paths coincidentally and uh, we just had this minute to, to conversate with one another, what would that one sentence or what would those two sentences of wisdom be that you would like to share with me? I always encourage uh, young people uh, when they practice on the driving range i said you don't just hit straight shots or just don't just hit one shot try and be a bit more creative uh, try and maneuver the golf ball uh, learn to feel what the club does and what your swing does by turning the ball right to left and left to right and hit one high and hit one low and just become a little bit more creative and not not just the, the one-dimensional shot become more creative. I'm taking notes for my own personal life. <laughs> Bernard, you know, when I found out we were going to have this conversation, one of the first things I wondered was, once you've reached that level that you have as a professional athlete, you must constantly be offered partnerships. Why did you decide to choose Mercedes-Benz as your partner back in the day? And not only what made you choose them as a partner, but far more importantly, or even more interesting, what does Mercedes-Benz have that makes you stick around for so long? I mean, I think it's been more than 30 years now, right? I got some great advice from my manager when I was about 20 years old or, or 25. And, and I started having some success. And uh, he said, we're, we're going to try and focus just on uh, very few companies and brands that you want to be associated with and not just take every deal they throw at you. You just don't want to take every dollar they, they throw at you just to be their ambassador. And uh, I thought that was fantastic advice looking back. So when Mercedes uh, approached me, it was obviously a thrill to be having a chance to be associated with the best car company there was, period. And it was a no-brainer to say yes to Mercedes. 
and and be involved with them. So I, I think uh, blue chip companies like Mercedes uh, is the kind of company that I would like to be involved with uh, because they are the best. I'd like to be the best in what I do. Uh, we're continuously striving to uh, innovate, to become better, to move on with the new materials, with what we've learned in the past. And uh, all of that is exciting to me. And I've truly loved driving a Mercedes-Benz for the many years. And uh, to be their ambassador was, was a great honor for all these years. Do you follow Trends EQS, if that's the, the car that you're looking forward to most right now? Do you um, keep an eye close on trends in the automobile industry, be it uh, e-mobility, the importance of e-mobility, or urban mobility, or of uh, uh, car sharing services? Is that something that's important to you? Not so much, but uh, I, I do like to see what the innovations are, what's new, what what has been changed, and why. Uh, that that interests me, and it's uh, you know incredible when you look back uh, over the history of Mercedes-Benz and you just look at the last fifty or hundred years and how far we have come. And you know, uh, a Mercedes. Uh, interior looks like a cockpit now uh, or what used to be a cockpit and, and, and even better than that uh, the sound of the stereo system the the safety measures uh, all the things that have improved uh, is incredible and uh, it makes driving so much better so much safer so much more fun and uh, it's very important and has saved a lot of lives over the years too i've also heard Bernard, and feel free to correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I've heard that you are a very hands-on person when it comes to driving, that you prefer to drive your cars yourself. What value does individual mobility hold in your daily life, going to the golf course and back? Or do you um, would you also consider having someone drive you there? Or is it something that you really enjoy doing just on a daily basis, getting from A to B in your personal own vehicle? Well, you're right. I'd like to be behind the wheel myself. I don't. <laughs> uh, I don't mind being driven every once in a while. But if I had a choice, uh, like at home, I always drive. I enjoy driving nice cars, but also like to be in charge and control. And it's extremely important for me to have mobility to to be able to have uh, access uh, to a car and and you know get somewhere as fast and safe as possible. Now, Bernard, thank you for that. Um, we have already spoken a lot about what it takes to stay successful over all the years. And I think one important, one very important element is something that you've mentioned a couple of times. It's reinventing yourself, reinventing yourself over and over again. If we focus just on the current state, on the present, what are you looking to reinvent right now about yourself and how do you go about doing so Absolutely. You know, I was very blessed to have a wonderful coach for many, many years, Willy Hoffman from uh, Ulm, Germany. And uh, he started with me when I was about 18 to become my golf coach. And uh, as we worked for a number of years, uh, I might have been in my mid 20s, uh, late 20s. He says, you know, I I want you to play good golf when you're 40, when you're 50, when you're even in your 60s and 70s. And to 
to do that, we're going to have to make some changes because the way you're swinging right now is probably putting too much stress on your back. And so we have to make changes so you can be long-term one of the best in the world. And I thought that was incredible smart of him to, first of all, recognize that and, and then encourage me to change my technique to that extent uh, that I could have a longer career. So looking at the present, I'm starting to lose a little bit of speed. Uh, I'm 63 and uh, that's that's nature. Uh, my turn is not as big as it used to be. My shoulder turn, my body turn, uh, my body doesn't allow me to turn as much. Um, so I'm trying to find ways to increase my clubhead speed again. What are perhaps some things or what is something that you have been doing the same, the exact same for all these years and that you would not change because this is perhaps your secret to maintain success? Well, it's probably my warm-up routine. So when I have a, let's say I have a tea time at noon, 12 o'clock, I usually show up about three hours before on the golf course. And uh, the first hour I go into the fitness truck and I go in there and I warm up and I have a, a bite to eat and you know, put my shoes on, sunblock, all that kind of stuff, get my golf balls and head out to the driving range or putting green probably an hour and 15 minutes before my tea time. And I usually putt a few minutes to uh, get used to the speed of the greens and feel comfortable with my stroke. Then I hit some bunker shots, chip shots, just go through everything for, for a few shots. And then I go to the range and hit some full shots for about 20, 30 minutes, come back to putt for maybe five or 10 more minutes where I actually go through the routine where I read the putt, line up my golf ball and go through my pre-shot routine and then head over to the first tee probably five minutes before. So that's kind of my, my routine before I go. And I don't think that's going to change, you know. Bernard, before we have a short look towards the future, I would like to talk to you about luxury, about your definition of luxury. Can you define luxury in your own words, your personal definition using just one sentence? Oh, that's difficult. <laughs> luxury to me is something that you you truly enjoy. Like I, I remember, you know, traveling used to be such a chore, such a difficult thing uh, when I didn't have any money. I had to take buses and trains and uh, drag my golf bag and my suitcase and a couple other items with me. Uh, and uh, if you can fly that was amazing and then i had to go long distances to australia or japan uh, if you can fly first class that's truly luxury because you just feel so much better when you get there at the other end then you could perform better um, so there's certain things that that are luxury and yeah flying first class driving one of the best automobiles uh, there is uh, you know living in a hotel that has everything that you want. Those are the things that I call luxury. And I think that's a very beautiful definition and very practical thinking at the same time. Now, last question up before we close. If you give me from the top of your head a very spontaneous response, what would be your first pastime that you would invest most time in if you stop playing golf, if you retire? 
What would that be? Playing with my grandkids. <laughs> okay, great. Perfect answer. Thank you so much, Bernard, for the lovely conversation. Thank you, too. And thank you to all of our listeners. That was brand ambassador and golf legend Bernard Langer, or Bernhard Langer in German. Thank you so much for joining us. Take care, everyone. I look forward to our next episode of Let's Talk Mercedes. Mercedes.